Exodus 2, 1 through 10, this is God's holy word. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Thus far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible Word. Thanks be to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that You'll give us understanding now. Help us to listen and receive and act upon that which You have spoken to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who is this man from the house or family of Levi? Levi being one of the sons of Jacob, or as he's called also Israel. Well, let me tell you that it's Moses... Not Moses' father, whose name was Amram, even though this first sentence of the chapter is referring to Amram, I want us to think today about Moses. And we're introduced to the man whom God will use to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Only he is not yet a grown up man, he is a baby. And his preservation in the face of a murderous decree by the king of Egypt is nothing short of amazing. Truly, here is an example of God's sovereign control. So here are a number of things I want us to think about today, and I've got quite a few really, so we'll have to move relatively quickly as we study. We're going to look at Moses' goodly heritage. And then Moses' nursing mother, his protective sister, his adoptive mother, his true identity, and then finally, his association with the Nile River. So we'll see how those things come before us as we then continue on here. Moses' goodly heritage. I uh, 
when I was writing this, I wrote Moses' godly heritage, which would have been perfectly all right. But uh, I'm using this word goodly because, for example, in Psalm 16, verse 6, the psalmist there says, The lines are fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a goodly heritage. Now, one's heritage is what has been passed along from generation to generation. And in the case of the Israelites, the heritage is one of commitment to the Lord. And it goes all the way back, really, to Adam and Eve, but if you kind of pick up the godly line there with their son Seth, then you continue on through the generations to Noah, the man and his family that survived the flood. There's Noah. And then on beyond Noah, you come to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, this idea of the heritage is what all of these generations passed along the one to the other. So Moses has a goodly heritage from all of these fathers, as it were, who went before him. Now here he is, this child, in grave danger, uh, having been put into a floating basket, a waterproof basket, and uh, hope, with the hope, I guess we should say, that uh, he would survive the cruel and, and heart-rending destruction of, of many of the children of the Israelites. However, don't forget, in the previous chapter, we saw that when the Pharaoh, the king, decided he wanted to reduce the number of the Israelites. Instead, they grew. Somewhat because of the bravery of the Hebrew midwives. But just the fact that God did not want them to diminish, but He wanted them to increase. And this was always His purpose. That having sent this family of 70 or so people down to Egypt, that in that environment they would grow large and be a great nation that he would take and put into the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now all of these uh, fathers, and we're not excluding the women either, but uh, they were men and women of faith. And without faith, says the Scriptures, it's impossible to please God. So the heritage includes a relationship with the Lord, a good relationship a relationship that God wants, a relationship that involves many people who believe, those who trust in the promises of God. Each generation called upon their offspring, their children, to trust the promises of God, and they would pass those along, even if they didn't have a written book such as we have. And it's pretty well understood that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses himself. So even without a written record of the promises of God in the teaching of parent to child from one generation to another, people were reminded of the promises that God had made and they were to live their lives in anticipation of the fulfillment. If they themselves wouldn't see that fulfillment, uh, they could at least see that in, with the eyes of faith, see it coming, see it far down the way in front of them. So Moses had a, a goodly heritage. Now, it would take uh, some growing up on his part in, the, in his own household, interestingly, 
because God arranged, as we've read, for him to at least reach the place of a youngster, having been taught by his mother and no doubt his father also, and even his sister for that matter. And we can say that uh, blessed is the person who values the heritage that the Lord gives to him. There are other kinds of heritages, of course. Nothing so precious, nothing so valuable as that which God gives to His people, whereby He tells them that He loves them and has a great plan for them and that wonderful, indescribable, glorious blessings await them as they hold on to this heritage. And even if there are those that are denied that heritage, because their parents are unbelievers, because they come from generations that have not known the Lord, still God invites people, come and be a part of this heritage. This heritage can be yours. Uh, These promised blessings can be a part of your life. Come and join. Come and believe. Come and enter into the fellowship of God's people. Come and find cleansing from your sins. And of course we know that the cleansing comes because God sent a Savior into the world. He sent the Lord Jesus to take away sins and to defeat death and to open the way to heaven itself. Blessed is the person, man or woman, who values heritage from the Lord. The lions are fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Then we move on to Moses' nursing mother. Her name was Jochebed. Now I told you the father's name was Amram. The mother's name was Jochebed. And uh, we don't find those names until we get over to the 6th chapter of Exodus. But uh, they still had those names even in this earlier time. And so uh, the, the nursing mother of Moses, and may we say of Miriam who was the oldest, and Aaron who was the middle child, and Moses, the nursing mother was a blessing for as long as anyone had contact with her. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul describes a nursing mother as this way. He says, But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And if Moses had been able to read those words, of course they came centuries later, he would have said, yes indeed, that's what a nursing mother is. One who is gentle, one who tenderly cares for her own children. And here's a point of thanksgiving then for Moses and even for us who have had such in our own lives. He had a nursing mother. Nursing not only in the sense of feeding him, but nursing in the sense of tenderly caring for and bringing him up in the way that he should go. So it's apparent from the story, and it's a true story, that uh, Jochebed tenderly cared for her youngest child, Moses. She sensed, and we get this from Acts chapter 7, interestingly, she sensed that he was no ordinary child. Acts 7 verse 20. Now the word that is sometimes translated beautiful, or good, is the Hebrew word tov. And uh, the idea is that 
whatever makes a person outstanding, that was seen in Moses. Now, how did his mother sense this? Uh, the, the most obvious thing is that she picked up the baby and, and looked at it and said, he's beautiful. But there's more to it because as Stephen said in his description of Israelite history, this is no ordinary child. And that's really what Jochebed and I suppose Amram too for that matter and all the family saw that uh, though this was an ordinary baby, maybe one of the handsomest babies in, in the community, we don't know, we never saw him, but uh, I think they say this is no ordinary child. Somehow the Holy Spirit communicated to them. This is no ordinary child. This is something special here. And then later on you find Moses thinking that he's the Messiah. And he says, I thought I was supposed to rescue Israel. This is when uh, he went out and slew an Egyptian who was abusing an Israelite person. And then uh, he was kind of rejected by the community for that. And, and his response was, I, I thought this was what I'd been called to do. But back up again to this time when he's, he's very small and his mother's looking at him. And she says, this one is no ordinary child. This one, God is going to do something marvelous with. Don't know exactly what it is, but uh, who knows, he might be the Messiah. He might be the one that God had promised way back when there was uh, God's Word to Adam and Eve that the, the, there would be a child who would crush the serpent. Well, of course, it, it didn't turn out that Moses was the Messiah, but he was certainly a Messianic figure, if you will, in the life of Israel. So I want you to think also this about uh, Jochebed, that uh, she was very clever. She planned and executed a way for him to survive, and then she actually went on to see him survive and be in her own house by the grace of God. But just the fact that she planned this basket, she went and, and got tar and pitch and, and shaped it just right and, and had it at least comfortable enough for the baby to lie in and, and for it to float in the water. Uh, she was a, a nursing, a nurturing, a tenderly caring mother for this boy. The other two children... Aaron and, and Miriam, and we don't know if there are any others, but at least there were those two. They were not in immediate danger as such, but Moses was. And she said, with God's help, this not ordinary child, this one who has such promise, if I have anything to say about it, if I have anything to do with it, he will survive. Now, you see, along with her husband, Jochebed, demonstrates faith. And you go to the book of Hebrews, it says Moses' parents were faithful. It was by faith that they continued to, to stand up against Pharaoh in this particular instance. So she demonstrates faith in the face of danger. Uh, just reading from Hebrews 11.23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. In other words, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, just like the midwives that we saw before. So uh, we can look with uh, amazement and with joy at uh, Moses' mother because she did carefully and tenderly 
protect her child as, as best she could, depending and trusting in the Lord. And that gives us an example to follow. Let us be faithful, trusting the Lord in the face of whatever dangers might come along toward us. And then we have his protective sister, Miriam. And I want to read a couple verses for you. One from Genesis 4.9 about Cain and Abel. Then the Lord said to Cain, this was after Cain had slain his brother. The Lord said to, to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And then another verse from Proverbs says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now I'll just put the word sister in there too. Uh, the Bible tends toward using masculine uh, examples, but it could be a sister as well. Sister is born for adversity. And uh, she did feel like that she was her brother's keeper. Protective sister. What about Miriam? Well, like her mother, I'm sure she learned a lot from her mother. Miriam was obedient, bold, and clever in the hour that Moses was discovered in the river. And I'm sure she was that way at other times, but certainly when the daughter of Pharaoh came along and, and found the baby, Miriam was able to do the right things. And it, it ultimately resulted in Moses not only being saved from death, but to, to be able to live at home with his mother, and his mother received wages, and just blessings poured out of this responsibility that Miriam exercised. And note this, that Miriam would remain with and would advise Moses through most of his life. Because you find going down through the, the years, Miriam crops up again and again, even uh, as long as Moses basically is alive. Of course, she died at some point there along too. But the point is that she didn't stop being a caring, protective sister to Moses. Like her parents, Miriam saw her actions as her covenant responsibilities. Meaning that... Uh, Part of her life as a, a young woman in the home was to care for her brother, her other siblings, to care. This was part of the thing that God had called her to be. If God doesn't call you to be anything else, and most likely He'll call you to be other things, but He certainly calls you to carry out your covenant responsibilities, and that is to try to keep the family not only together, and alive, but in faithful pursuit of a relationship with God. And that was Miriam. Now later you'll find Miriam made a big mistake one time. She castigated her brother for the, the woman that he married, and she never should have done that. But that was just one thing. Over the whole spread of her life, she was a faithful, protective sister. In Christ, we have new brothers and sisters. So that in God's family, we have those who are not blood kin, but they are by the Holy Spirit, our, our spiritual relatives. And we need to carry out our responsibilities to them 
also to take care of them, to protect them, to use whatever gifts of cleverness and insight, prayer, understanding that God has given to us to care for our spiritual brothers and sisters, our fathers and mothers in the Lord, if you will. Because he says you're responsible for them. In, just in terms of thinking of these covenant responsibilities, keep in mind that the Apostle tells us whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I think that's one of the things you could say characterized Miriam. That she always wanted to do what God wanted her to do and to do it for His glory. Then we come to another mother. And this is not the, the kind of two mommies that you see sometimes talked about today in uh, homosexual relationships or something like that. But he had an adoptive mother. In uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, we find that Naomi, who had come back from Moab with a, a daughter-in-law, she, she calls this girl her daughter. This is... Uh, Ruth 3, one. Then Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now not all foster mothers are good. Some of them turn out to be terrible. But in the, in the case of this uh, Egyptian, she turned out to be a kind person. She wanted to spare this, this child. And she sought that it might be well with him, so that I'm sure she, in all sincerity, said many, many times, My son, Moses, my son, do this, my son, come here, my son, let us think together about this or that thing. There's an interesting parallel between Joseph and Moses. Joseph was elevated by the Lord out of slavery to be the prime minister of Egypt. And then you have Moses slated for death. Then God exalts him through this adoptive mother to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, to be a person of high, noble position in Egypt. And it never would have happened if the princess had not come along and seen the basket and said, I'd, I'd like this child. Something about this child makes me want to have it and not to obey my father assuming that she was the daughter, the direct daughter of, of that Pharaoh. Moses then, because she adopted him, and ultimately after he had spent some of his youth there at home, she brought him to the palace and there we read that he excelled in the learning of Egypt, Acts 7.22, again Stephen reciting history. He says, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians and he was a man of power in word, in words plural, and in deeds. Moses excelled. And again, this is how God worked things out. Because the one who was going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt would need to be well educated, would need to understand the Egyptians, understand all the concepts and intellectual qualities of the Egyptians, to be a, a man of high standing in that regard. And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians and became, it says, a man of power. In other words, he had political power. 
He had influence. He could get in and, and debate and talk and analyze with all the, the other so-called great ones of Egypt. But there came a time, you see, when Moses decided he loved the people of God more than he loved his foster mother. And you say, oh, that's so sad, so, so unfortunate. But remember the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 10.37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And Moses, though I'm sure he was most appreciative of his foster mother, decided that he loved the people of God, that he loved the God of the people more than he loved this unbeliever. That's what she was. We'd have no record. And you wonder if, if at some point in, in the unfolding of the history of, of things here, if he didn't say to his mother later when he was about to lead the Israelites out, won't you come with us, mother? Won't you come along and, and join us. There's a place for you in this heritage. You weren't born to be one of God's people. You weren't uh, trained and, and given this heritage, but you can have a part in it. Why don't you come? As best we know, of course, that never happened. But I would think that Moses loved his mother that much that he said, won't you come along and be a part of this? Well, let us say this. That sometimes God uses a kind unbeliever, a loving unbeliever to accomplish His purposes. That doesn't mean that that's a ticket for them to heaven, but it means that God did in His providential way use them. And certainly, whoever the daughter of Pharaoh was, she treated him in such a way that it prepared him to be a leader. Of course, Moses would go out and spend another 40 years in the wilderness in Midian, and that was part of his training as well. But up to that point, when he was about 40 years old, he did indeed have the benefit of a loving, caring foster mother, even if she was not a believer. Then let's, let's talk about his true identity. In Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 26, we read, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, as one of those promises you see, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Having an Israelite mother and an Egyptian foster mother meant Moses didn't exactly know who he was for quite a while. Am I an Egyptian? Am I a Hebrew? Who am I? A lot of people have that problem. Who am I? Who am I? Think of Joseph again. Joseph actually had an Egyptian name. Zaphnath Paneah. That was his Egyptian name. And I'm sure whenever his foster mother or anybody else was familiar enough with him to call him by his name, that that's what they called him. Even though the mother had called him Moses. But along the line somewhere, somebody said, uh, that name Moses won't do. And so, uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking about Joseph. Joseph had that name, but Moses never had a different name. He's always called Moses. 
And uh, again, I go back, I'm sorry I confused you a little bit, but whenever anybody called Joseph, they called him by that name and not Joseph. Now, Moses was just called Moses because he was named by the princess. He had no other name that we know of. He never took a different name. But he identified with Israel, you see. He didn't need a different name. He just needed to say, I'm not one of these Egyptians. I'm one of the Israelites. Well, let's say this. Whatever our earthly name, God gives us a new name when we believe in Jesus as from the book of Revelation. I'll give you a new name. And what is that name? What's well, the name of Christ? If you are a believer in Him, then you bear His name. And you bear with that name your true identity. Alright, one last thing it has to do with the Nile River. In Psalm 46.4 it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. Uh, there's no river in Jerusalem. There's a little little stream, Kidron, they call it. There's no river there. And, and even the Jordan River is quite a distance away. So, uh, we think of Moses being dominated by the Nile River for a good part of his life, for at least 40 years of his life. Now, the Nile dominates Egypt. Uh, one of the old sayings is that Egypt is the gift of the Nile. And the Egyptians actually worshipped the Nile to some extent. And over in Ezekiel, the Pharaoh in those days, whoever the king was, said, the Nile is mine, I have made it. That's Ezekiel 29.9. Well, that uh, situation, God says won't do. You didn't make the Nile, I made it. In fact, everything, everything, including the Nile River, is in my control. So he was placed in the, the ark if you will. It was just a basket, but let's call it an ark. And then he was drawn from it and utilized the river and he brought curses on it and then finally he left it behind. Because as dominating as it was and as closely associated as Moses was with the Nile River, he said, that's not the river I'm interested in. I'm uh, I'm interested in that river whereby God dwells and, or whereby God makes us dwell and causes His people to receive His blessings. He came to see that God ruled the Nile, but that He's made a, a better river, a river of mercy and blessing. And just be reminded then, as Moses came to understand, that nothing in nature or in the cosmos is greater than God. Everything in creation must yield to Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank You that You do control all things. We see Your control in the life of Moses, how You had him have the right people around him to give him that heritage, to give him that instruction. Even, Lord, You brought unbelievers to give him instruction. And he grew and became capable in that way And then you went on to teach him other things, but at least, Lord, we see how you were always with him and provided for him. And we pray, Lord, that we might take comfort in that and also be helped and delivered by you. In Jesus' name, amen.